My guest today on Mission Impact is Marla Bobowick. Marla and I talk about the misconceptions that people have about nonprofit boards and governance, why shared leadership and governance is important to strive for, and why boards need to shift their focus from hindsight to foresight. Mission Impact is the podcast for nonprofit progressive leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your nonprofit strategic planning consultant and podcast host. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Welcome, Marla. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. This will be fun. So I'd like to start by asking folks kind of what drew you to the work that you do? What what motivates you and what would you describe as your why? I fell in love with the nonprofit sector by accident. Um, I love being involved with people who are absolutely passionate about what they do and believe in it and get to live and act and work their values and passions. Um, and I wanted to be surrounded by people like that. And my passion is the nonprofit sector and making it work better, which is a little wonky, but um, that's what I do. Yeah, the, m- most people, when they think of the nonprofit sector, I think they, they think of that direct the direct service or, or you know working on the front lines, but there's so many layers. And um, I've often felt that I was kind of a couple layers removed from from those frontline folks, but it's all important work. So your work focuses on the non on nonprofit board governance, which is obviously very key. What would you say is the most common misconception about nonprofit boards? Of course, I always think there's more than one answer to um, questions like this, which is I think it's two extremes. It's either the boards think they have all the power or they think they have none of the power. And same from the CEO, executive director point of view. Um, And so sort of undoing that misconception because I really believe in a a notion of shared leadership and a sort of governance partnership is forcing people to sort of challenge a lot of their implicit or explicit assumptions. And where do you think those, you know, kind of those two extremes come from? I think it's sometimes the language that that we in the sector, that state laws say that the board is responsible for the mission. Well, they can't do that by themselves. They do it with a community that they serve. They do it with the professional staff who are on the front lines. So there's language that says the board is responsible for it. Um, Sometimes, unfortunately, it's the more egregious, I pay for it, therefore I get to decide what our priorities are. Um, And I think executives over or underestimate, um, they either manipulate or overestimate how much power they have because they control information. And so board members sometimes feel excluded or executives don't want to give them too too much information because they'll get in the weeds and that creates a, a tension that is counterproductive. Yeah, and I've definitely kind of always wondered about that aspect and and, um, been in organizations where I've kind of seen those dynamics playing out where, um, you know, it it seems like 
in the 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 way that conventionally nonprofit governance is is kind of taught and and the models that people are using currently there is a lot of power in in kind of in that executive director role uh, especially around controlling information and what information is shared what information isn't shared um, that you know can can lead to some not great outcomes so I'm curious about what your perspective is on that so I feel like I walk into a lot of boardrooms and there's this hope, desire, assumption that there's a nice neat line in the middle of the sand that's a bright line that says on one side is what the CEO and the staff do and on the other side is what the board does. And when I walk in and say the reality is it's a fuzzy line. It moves sometimes depending on the circumstances of the organization, either as it grows and changes over time or on the size and shape and nature of the organization. And the goal is to know where the line should be and agree on it for your organization at the moment in time. Know when you cross over and know when it's time to go back to your respective sides. Um, And that underlying that is the almost every decision you can make the case it should really be board or it should really be be management and to sort of say what's the sequence of the discussions and conversations and decision making as opposed to thinking it's all one or all the other and realizing that almost everything really has to be done in partnership um, or together in some way and it's the process about how do you do that that is the sort of way through the mess to see your see where the line is and what to do um on terms of what's management and what's board work can you give me an example of what you mean by that um so strategic planning is a pretty classic one which is again it depends you know the board has a role in it i think of the board as bookends they should be involved in the front end the back end but board members and the board in particular can't do strategic planning by themselves. They need information from the CEO, they need information from the field, they need information from the frontline staff, from constituents and stakeholders. Um, And it's gotta be an inclusive process. And often the executive and the staff are the ones that filter and synthesize and frame that information for the board on a regular basis. And together sort of talk about what's the priority, what's the shift, what are our goals and what matters most. And some of those things about what matters most are going to be based on client needs. Others are going to be based on organization, you know, so client needs in terms of which programs, where should we grow, where should we shrink, how do we sort of rethink what we do. Some of them are going to be on um, operational issues about size, staffing, technology, inevitably every strategic plan has a like improve operational excellence or systems. And that's really the purview of the staff and the CEO. Um, But when you get to fundamental questions about sort of, are we really a hunger organization thinking of a food bank or are we really a poverty or anti-poverty organization? Those are philosophical conversations that have to be had by everybody. Yeah, I definitely see, uh, you know, when I'm doing strategic planning, want to see it as a as a partnership between board and staff because each are bringing different information, different perspectives and um, to really have buy in for what those final uh, strategic goals are going to be. Staff need to be involved in those conversations. So what would you say is the key to having healthy governance? 
Or a few. A magic a few. wand. <laughs> um, so I'm a big fan of alliteration as a recovering book editor, but I think there's a combination of, I used to say it's just, you need good, you need clarity, real clarity and sort of sharpness of focus on what you're doing. You need great communication and information sharing. I always say this is a little of the Goldilocks approach, the right amount, not too much information, not too little, and sort of at the right time. And I've started to add to that list, you need real curiosity to sort of break out of old habits. And maybe COVID has sort of brought this to the fore, but I also think it is just part and parcel of boards in particular need to be willing to ask good questions and then work together to find the answers and executives who have a lot of the answers and sometimes think it's their job to give answers all the time, need to be curious about what's behind board members' questions, interests, responses, as opposed to being defensive. And the last one I would add is context, which is what does the organization need now and in the future, knowing where you've come from. and the I did this somewhere else and you hear that a lot from board members and you hear that a lot from executive directors to say what fits the culture what aligns with the organization's culture and purpose and mission um, so that it makes sense for this organization now and going forward and I always say the and going forward because board work is often hindsight and I wish there was more foresight with it can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that so board meetings often happen and you get lots of information and reports that is all about what happened in the past, what happened last month, last quarter, last year, and not a lot about the what you see coming up in the next three, six, 12, 18, 24 months. And so how do you use, and, and that's, that's the reality of information sharing because there's nothing, there's no data on what's gonna happen next. But how do you use the past to inform conversations about, wow, we saw a great, bump and need in X during the last six months, how do we pivot to make more of that available? What are we gonna stop doing so that we can, you know, put more staff onto this program? Um, and so I think it's that using the past to inform the present as opposed to saying, pat yourself on the back and say, hey, we just did a great job on this, or, oh my God, we're having a panic um, because if something didn't work, we should beat ourselves up and slash the budget to sort of say, let's really think about what's coming ahead and short-term and long-term. Yeah, I think that's so important, um, especially around the, the communications piece, because that can be so tricky of kind of, you know, you want people to be informed. It's challenging to get people to read things ahead of time. So you end up with a lot of reports. But as you're saying, that's all kind of looking backwards. And so, you know, how can boards carve out the time to have some strategic conversations, get a, you know, sometimes I'll talk to folks about how, you know, what's a, what's a question that you can have a half an hour conversation about that isn't necessarily about making decisions today, um, but, but kind of opening up so that you're thinking um, about possibilities for the future. Cause right, none of us can predict the future, but um, by just having that discipline of, um, trying to look ahead and, and kind of notice name and notice trends, et cetera, um, you know, can, can help. And I think having some kind of a couple questions to frame that up really helps people have, have those conversations because otherwise it's kind of like, okay, well, are we being strategic? We're supposed to be being strategic. Are we doing that? Well, and I think <laughs> one of the challenges is that 
people are so prone to asking yes no questions mm -hmm. as opposed to open-ended questions and there is a time when you need a yes no and up down vote on something but i think you you, you learn more from the boards when you can ask them open-ended questions which is what worked what would work better what would you do differently what did we learn from this where there is no yes no answer and you can then pull out the nuggets of information that can inform things um, and so as opposed to saying, will you approve this or do you agree with this decision, learning to ask open-ended questions is creates more discussion. And I think the more board members are given a chance to have productive and constructive conversation and discourse in the boardroom and not be talked at or to is healthier. So one of the mantras, um, I think I can brag about BoardSource on this podcast, is that when we were at BoardSource, our rule as staff when we presented to the board was you had five minutes of the hour long agenda item. They had the, and our board came prepared, but they had the materials in advance. You framed the questions for discussion and we gave the highlights and then it was a board discussion. And they would ask big questions and they would offer different points of view, but it wasn't, I gave the report for 20 minutes or half an hour that they already had read um, and then asked them, do you agree with this? Yeah, that's so important. And um, it's really like those, uh, almost as if the report is, is kind of laying the groundwork or setting the stage for uh, having that conversation. Uh, rather than, yeah, being talked at and then going, oh, oops, we ran out of time for any, any conversation about this. Yeah. So, so what are some other things that you see get in the way of kind of, of good governance? You talked about those extremes of like either the board thinking they have all the power or none of the power. Uh, what are some other things that get in the way? Boards that are just being talked at by staff? It's people. Boards would be great if there was nobody on them <laughs> and nobody right? staffing no, none them. None of us would have any work we, if there weren't any people involved. <laughs> we get in our own way um, as execs and board members um, in terms of not listening, in terms of having preconceived ideas, in terms of presenting a defense or offense for something as opposed to a conversation. And so I think it's, and I think board members, you know, on the one hand, there's this push for efficiency. We want to be efficient. So we're going to ram through a bunch of conversations or meetings, um, or we're going to try and cover so many things that then there's no time for conversation. So I feel like board members and execs put up their own barriers. They bring a lot of baggage or, um, and, and sort of preconceived ideas into their board work and their work together that to sort of say, taking time out to pause um, and find a way to sort of say what's, how should we be as a board and spending time on board purpose and culture can overcome a lot of the usual frustrations that go around boards, but it takes time. And often people don't feel like they have time for what board, some many board members will say is navel gazing and many execs would say is it's not gonna make a difference. Um, but sort of taking time out to sort of say, was this a good use of our time? What's the most important thing we talked about? What could we do differently at the next thing? I just came from a board meeting this weekend where we finally have sort of turned around the board. We've restructured it. We've got new board members on. And somebody complained about one of the agenda items, like all we do is talk about fundraising. So I said, what do you want to talk about next time? And I think that was the first time that the board had ever been asked, what's of interest to you? And I think that's a healthy conversation and let the board own some of it. 
Yeah, I think so often when I when I talk to folks, um, the whole question of kind of slowing down and taking a pause and stepping back and thinking about, well, why are we doing things the way we're doing them? Or, you know, is this really serving us um, always comes up. And then there is the pressure of we just got to get through this. We've got so many things on our agenda. Um, yeah, I, I, to me, when uh, when I was on a board um, and, and in charge of putting together the agenda, I was always fighting. Uh, well, it was a, a fighting might be a strong word, but there was a struggle often between we have all these different things to talk about and then me saying, well, but we're really not going to talk about any of them if we just try to rush through it all. Um, you know, we'll just end up having to come back to it anyway. So could we have fewer things on the agenda so that we could really dig into at least one of them in a substantive way? Well, and I think that's a silver lining for boards during the time of COVID, which is they were many were meeting more often, less often, but they were all meeting differently than they used to. And I think it forced the um, one of the most important conversations, which is what does the board need to talk about and why? And what do we not need to have as a board meeting on a board meeting agenda? So to hear a lot of reports that there's not a lot of conversation about um, is a waste of everyone's time. And it, yet it has the value, I understand, when you're in a board meeting, like people aren't thinking about the organization as board members on a day-to-day -day basis and they wanna know what's new and different. But finding a different way to convey that um, or a more engaging and interactive way to talk about what's happening at the organization so that when you are together with the board with the average of whatever, 15 people, you are using everyone's time to the highest value, which is what's how can we add value to the organization and help the executive and help advance our mission not be not a you know board is book club let's just talk about what you did last month and how great it was but you're not actually contributing anything of of intellectual or strategic value so what are some of the innovations that you've seen come out of this past 18 months um, I have been surprised and shocked and pleased at being able to do some board assessment self-evaluation work online with doing the typical online survey and then presenting the results, you know, as a creating it as a separate meeting, whereas if we were always meeting in person, it was an all-day retreat, there was a lot of drama and angst around, oh my God, what are we going to do per day? Is it worth it? But to sort of kick off a conversation in an hour and a half or two on a Zoom meeting and talk about it and then parlay it into full board discussion. So it's almost like deconstructing what were retreats. It definitely missed the in-person social um, sort of networking that happens when board members are together. So no one get this wrong that I, I'm all for meeting again in person, but I think the, the innovation of saying we can call an extra meeting for an hour and a half and use it as a listening tour, use it for a discussion that doesn't require action, use it to sort of dig into one topic. So I think that notion of focus has come out of it. Um, I think there's just a lot, and I think people have realized like how much information do you need and what's the best way to present it? Um, because I hear all the complaints and I haven't heard them lately that board meetings are just a bunch of presentations. So when you work on Zoom, you have to sort of think about how much presentation, how many Hollywood squares can I see, how, many, how much is too much PowerPoint, all of that is sort of has to be rethought. The strain, honestly, though, is that it takes a lot more work to organize a meeting like that on Zoom than to do it in person. 
It can, yeah. It takes a lot. It can. It doesn't have to, but even as a consultant who does this all the time to plan and design interactive meetings, it takes more effort. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's been interesting to me where you talked about kind of de deconstructing the retreat. Um, I've definitely seen the uh, advantage of breaking up, you know, I do a lot of strategic planning and breaking up those that process into a series of two hour or three hour meetings where you're really just doing one piece of it. You're starting out with that. Okay. So, you know, I've, I've done all those conversations. I've done that assessment. I've got survey data, all of that. Let me share that with you. Let's make meaning of it. Um, but that's it that we're going to do today. We're not going to try to get to the very end in one day and kind of have that marathon that people have had before. Um, so I've really appreciated, uh, you know, kind of that, that focus that, that can be brought. Um. I've done something similar with orientation. And I did this before COVID with an organization that is very small. And it's a national organization and people just can't afford to come together very often. And so a couple of years ago, we started a three-part session of orientation. One session about the state of the organization one session about the work of the board and one session about planning for the next year, sort of board action planning that then feeds into organizational planning and budgeting. And we've been doing it in these three-part sessions now, I think for three or four years. And it really, like, there, it compounds it. It gives people time to think about it. Um, they tag it on to an existing board meeting so they're not creating more stuff. It's worked really wonderfully, and I've watched the board come along. Um, and the conversation, even if the session, the content doesn't change much, the, the quality of the conversation has improved. And in the beginning, they didn't talk a lot. And now there's much more back and forth. It's much less hearing me talk, but to sort of have board member to board member conversation. So I think things like breaking things down um, have been has been helpful. Yeah, and I'm even thinking, you know, in terms of all those presentations, um, you know, what what might have all been written reports before you know you could just record a brief co you know the the staff or the whatever the report is and have those go out beforehand um so the people could watch them while they're you know doing the dishes or listen to them while they're taking a walk it doesn't have to all be kind of written material so there's lots of different ways that you can deliver whatever information people need to have to have the conversation um I'm trying to think of other innovations I've seen, and I think it just has to do with better reports. I've seen, you know, like little, they're more logistical and operational about sort of better way boards members are getting, and the execs, I guess, are getting better at organizing board packets and materials and online handbooks and resources. Um, I, I've seen, and I think this is the nature of the pandemic, but I think it's it's a healthy thing and i've seen other execs do this often when they're new which is communication between board meetings assuming you're not meeting monthly which i rarely recommend um but that you know they're like here's an update from the staff on what's happening on the ground because board members especially during covid and especially if you're doing frontline work want to know like what's it like in the office or the quote office um what are you seeing and so they don't have to be long emails but kind of a like here's three exciting things that happened this month. And yes, it takes some time from the exec to do that, but to be strategic about it and balance it between operational and strategic issues and need and mission has, I think, helped some board members feel better connected. I've also seen some really savvy execs sort of have coffee hour 
sort of much more intentionally with one-on-one -on -one with board members or sort of an open house, like just call and ask questions, schedule time on a like once a month basis for just what's so people can ask questions. Because I think with all the uncertainty around, you know, going back to work or the, um, you know, sort of direct service needs or increases or decreases in funding, it's just a way to sort of ask questions without being feeling like it's the formality of a full meeting. Yeah, I love that, that you can, you know, lots of different ways to do that communication that isn't all kind of in the box of a board meeting, but what are the different ways that you can pull people in, um, you know, and not have it be kind of onerous either on the board members part or on the staff part, but to keep those lines of communication open. Um, we'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So on each episode, I like to play a, a, a game where I ask a one random icebreaker question. So okay. um, my question <laughs> for you is, what book have you read recently that you would recommend and why? Um, one of the things I did during the pandemic was a virtual book club with people I've been in book clubs with in over the course of my life and none of us are in the same city so it's been a blast um my favorite book was deacon king kong by james mcbride um i can see you smiling not everybody can do that on the podcast so it is a historical novel if you will will about i believe it was the 60s in new york city and it had the you know the italian mafia and the irish cops and the black drug dealers and the Bronx or Harlem or Brooklyn I can't even remember but it had the best characters um and, and the best character mystery. names for sure <laughs> absolutely the best names and so it was incredibly relevant to the world today and issues of social justice and community and um and it and just a blast to read. He's a wonderful writer. Um, and we had just some fun conversations about, you know, we were joking that, so if you haven't read the book, the burning question in our head was, what was the cheese that was left in the basement by, um, that was left for the community in the basement of the boiler room? Yes, that was, I, 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 that. I, I do remember it now. <laughs> I do remember it. Yeah, there was just, so it's set in, in, a, in a housing, um, project. I can't remember what borough of New York and just all the intersections of community and these characters. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Donald, great characters, but the story moved too. So yeah, I, I, I love that one. I want it to be a movie. Yes. I really want yes. It to be a movie. I, I think it would make a great movie. So what are you excited about? What's coming up next for you? What's emerging in the work that you're doing? So it was kind of amazing. In the middle of the pandemic, I worked on a think tank researchy project about the principles of trusteeship, um, which I did with the Association of Governing Boards of Universities and Colleges. It's always a mouthful to say that. Um, and it really focused on what are the principles of that make a great board member, 
not a great board because a board is made up of a bunch of people. And as I said earlier, one of the obstacles to governance is people. And so it was really fun and amazing to tap into the wisdom of a bunch of college and universities, profess, um, presidents and um, foundation executives to sort of say what they had seen. And to do this in the middle of the pandemic when you thought colleges didn't even know if they were gonna be open that semester. And yet folks, hundreds of volunteers from AGB were on focus groups. And so really walking away with this sort of, how do you speak to the individual? I think has made me realize how important it is to say, it's not just what a good board should do, but it's like, what can you personally do and do better as a board member? And I feel like that's a sort of mantra that comes out in conversation, but not as explicitly as this project sort of brought it into focus. And so really helping people see what are you doing to help or get in the way of yourself or others if you want to be part of a great board. And is there a report or some summary of findings for that research? So is there is coming or there is a big purple book that we did that it's there's nine principles they fall into three big buckets i was a pie now it's a mandala because that sounds far more sophisticated than a pie it was at thanksgiving when we came up with a pie that has an inner circle of three pieces which is understand governance think strategically and lead by example or lead with integrity and so that is what you as an individual should do and then each piece of that pie has components built within it that get at your role as a as a fiduciary of the organization so you've got to sort of uphold that they get at what role you play on the board as a member of a team like not everyone is the captain or the center or the goalie i'm a soccer fan and then there is the what do you do outside of the board and board work that that you do as more of a volunteer. So when you have special expertise or you show up on campus for an event or whatever it is that you're doing that is not board work, but you do because you love the organization or you're passionate or because you're a board member, but you have something to add that is not a governance function. And I think, so yes, it came out as a book that you can buy from AGB. There is a an article that I wrote for Trusteeship Magazine that I believe is free to anyone on the AGB website, agb.org. Um, and the title is, What Kind of Board Member Are You? So it's, again, it's the speaking to the you. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that AGB is rolling out, but it really was this process of self-reflection and trying to make it and put it into language that is accessible and not jargon, and that isn't sort of shaming people or giving them commandments like thou shalt do this, but that sort of say, we know this is hard and we know it varies from organization to organization, but there are some fundamentals that we think everybody should be capable of doing or you shouldn't be on the board. That's awesome. All right. Well, we'll look for that so that we can put a link in the show notes. So awesome. um, thank you so much. It was great having you on. Love to have this conversation. Likewise, thanks for including me and um, keep up the good governance work. All right. I appreciated Marla's perspective on how the work of governance is not always crystal clear about whether an issue or a decision is in the realm of strategy or management. These are two categories that are somewhat arbitrary, and there definitely is a gray area between them. Clear communication and trust between the board and the executive director and senior leadership can go a long way to make it safe 
for each group to ask the questions they have, get the information they need, and feel supportive of each other instead of so wary about whether they are stepping on each other's toes or getting in each other's lanes. The models of board governance may make it look like it's super distinctive, but folks need to realize that sometimes it's not. I appreciated also the point that boards need to spend more time looking forward instead of backwards. Too often, so much of board meetings is taken up with reports, updates on work done by committees, staff, task forces, etc. And instead of using the time that everyone is together to have a discussion about a key issue, whether it's one facing the organization today or one that folks see coming down the pike, as much as you can, get those reports to people in another format before the meeting, then instead of sharing them verbally in the meeting, whether it's written, an update, a short video, or even an audio message, there are lots of options to consider. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Marla and find the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Kuster of 100 Ninjas for her production support. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a colleague or a friend. We really appreciate you helping us get the word out. Until next time.